0: Welcome into B-Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, it's been a quiet week, and that is okay. We get these patterns where, you know, you don't have a lot of active weather, and that's a good thing because it just means the atmosphere is repriming for the next big showing.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and we all need a break, you know, especially when there was, you know, two weeks in a row with pretty significant weather outbreaks. Like, it's nice to kind of have a little chill weeks that we can all reset our batteries and get prepared for what the spring has to offer. The only thing I will say is that there hasn't been any weather going on, but the wind here in Oklahoma has been killer and the allergies are real.
0: I am sorry to hear that. That is not good. There's nothing worse than seeing a tree, and you see these videos on social media all the time, of a wind gust hits a tree and then all of a sudden the tree looks like it explodes with pollen.
1: Yes. That watching those videos makes me start sneezing. Like it's just, it's, oh, I'm lucky
0: and I'm knocking on my wall. I don't have seasonal allergies. So, but my heart does go out to you because I know what it is like dealing with other stuff. It is not fun. So I am sorry that you're dealing with it. However, I do love the fact that the wind is still sweeping down the plains. So we can, we nope. can go from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be Oklahoma if it wasn't sweeping down the plane. If the wind stops sweeping down the plane, I would assume that, like, hell's freezing over or something.
0: <laughs> that's that's also a very you – know, well, it did earlier in the winter, didn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Is it, isn't there a, Texas? Yeah, it froze over. <laughs> I want
0: to say, isn't there, a like, a hell Texas or a hell Oklahoma?
1: I think there is.
0: I'm having to look at this real quick. Hold on here. But uh, if it did – uh, da, 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 da. I didn't mean Hell Texas. Yes. Hell Texas. Uh, da, 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 da. Is there a town in Texas called Hell? <laughs> uh, there's there a place called die. Tecosa, which is Hell town of the Texas Panhandle, according to history net. So maybe.
1: But so there is sort
0: a, of. Yeah, there was a book called Hell Texas. So, it works.
1: All right, we'll take it.
0: Yeah, it still froze over. Anyways, uh, we're wrapping it. We're putting a bow on March. And again, uh, shout out to the other podcasts that are members of the National Weather Podcast Month. And uh, not a whole lot of promo this year. I know people were super busy with other things going on, but still great to get out there and listen to the other podcasts. Make sure you guys follow us. Make sure you follow them. We're on Twitter at Weather Podcast if you don't follow us already. We are a thrilling follow, so please do make sure you do that. But, Bonnie, March, yeah. what's the saying? March comes in like a lion and out like a lamb?
1: Is it March that does that or is it April? I don't know. One of the two. comes in like something and goes out like something
0: else. Well, I'll, all I'm going to say is, is that March came in like an, a lion and left like a lion, so I feel bad for any lambs. However, it is Easter Sunday. Happy Easter. So shout they out to get all. those eggs. Yep. Eggs, bunnies, rabbits, everything else. Uh, I didn't get any eggs. My nephew did though.
1: And I haven't Easter egg hunted in so long. Like I just want to do that one more time. Can there be an adult Easter egg hunt? There and are lots like of those out little... there. Well, where are they? They're different I places.
0: I know one of the, uh, one of the jewelry shops in town here in Oregon used to do one and they had uh diamond rings hidden in some of the eggs. Whoa. And uh, if you ever want to see a bunch of white girls go crazy, yep, get you them loaded up. Crazy
1: if you found a diamond ring. Get you a, get would.
0: you get them loaded up on uh, wine and mimosas, and then you turn them loose in a field. So
1: you turn them loose in a field. Oh
0: yeah, it is a, <laughs> it is a sight to behold.
1: Well, then I need to keep this in mind for next year to search adult Easter egg hunts because just one time, I just want an Easter egg hunt one time.
0: Well, they do have them, so yes, I think you should get out there. But March was a very, very busy month, and we have a whole plethora of stats that we're going to go over, and I think they're important because it shows really how busy it was. Uh, According to our friends from the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, Oklahoma, 2021 had 36 tornado watches that were issued. In terms of ranking how busy that was in terms of month of March, that will go down as the 7th busiest overall since they started keeping record. So wow. 2003, 1996, 2005, 1992, 2002, and 2000 were the ones that were busy. So we had 36 tornado watches in the month of March. Uh, the record is 49 in the year 2000, but that's pretty, I mean, listen, 36 tornado watches is nothing to shake a stick at. That's over one a day. If you were to average it out per day, obviously we had those, in the majority of a two week span and honestly over right. a probably six day, six or seven day period, but that's still pretty impressive.
1: Well, and that right there, you know, is, is impressive. The fact that most of that happened in like a week, maybe week and a right. half type of span. So yeah, that's, that's crazy. And thir- yeah, 36 is a lot averaging one a day. Whew.
0: All right. So in addition to that is the first March with two separate high risk events since 1991, both of them centered in areas around Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, obviously, we know we've talked a lot on the show, especially the last two weeks, about the storms that did go through Mississippi and Alabama. Impressive storms. So, first March since 1991 with two high risk events. That's a,
1: crazy. Because high risks aren't issued very often, period.
0: No. No. So
1: for two in one month in basically the exact same spot is just crazy.
0: It really is. Uh, we had four days with three or more EF two tornadoes: March thirteenth, seventeenth, twenty fifth, and twenty seventh. So that's pretty impressive. We had and especially for March. Yeah, you exactly know, right. Just... And again, we know that the Dixie Alley, you know, storm season really does kind of focus on March and April, and then it moves obviously closer to you uh, through Dixie Alley into like Louisiana and into Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, and I do want to talk about tornado alley in a second. Cause I know that there's been some chatter about getting away from that. And I want to ask your opinion on that in a minute, but uh, most March EF three plus tornadoes five since 2012 of those EF three, five of them were within the state of Alabama, one extending into Georgia. Wow. Right? So the so Alabama got hit real hard again, mm-hmm. uh, and we have seen this time and time again. Uh, we had the Elliott Creek EF3. We had the West Blockton to North Shelby EF3. We had the Ochichi to Wellington EF3. Uh, and then we had the Sawyerville to Centerville to Columbiana EF3. So, long track tornadoes. The one EF4 was contained, I take the back. The one EF4 was in the state of Georgia. It was uh, started in the town of Newman and uh, went through Peachtree City, which is to the southwest of Atlanta.
1: Geez. Yeah, that's... Wow. I mean, an EF4, that's a scary tornado. And I'm telling you, there's been some incredible video... Uh, The tornadoes themselves, the damage, you know, there's a lot of good drone video out there. Like it's, I mean, Alabama and Georgia really, really got tore up in March and I feel bad.
0: Yeah, it is. It's one of those things where we knew it was coming. And I think for all things considered, that damage structurally is bad. Loss of life is bad, but it could have been a lot worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because luckily there's a lot of rural areas where a lot of those tornadoes went through. They didn't go through a whole correct. lot of heavily populated areas. But still, even one loss of life or one home damaged is something we don't want to see. But like you said, it could have just been even worse than it already was.
0: 100%. Um, according to SPC, the number of severe weather reports for the March uh, time frame was 1,138, which actually is almost average the average number of storm reports they receive in the month of march is 1107 so they had 31 more additional storm reports than usual so for it being very active it actually was somewhat relatively normal just based on storm reports
1: that's kind of mind-blowing for it to be like normal but then also there's all these you know records that were Right. Broken or set, you know, as far as, like, high-risk states. That's kind of, it's kind of like a a mind-bender a little bit. It's like, it was record-breaking, but also normal.
0: (laughs) Right. It is true. And it also is, the last stat is, the most March tornado reports, 184 of them, since 2012, a month that saw 225.
1: Whoa.
0: So, a lot of tornadoes, a lot of small tornadoes, but tornadoes nonetheless. Yeah. But still pretty impressive
1: geez. Well, you know, and it just makes me think, and we talk about this all the time that one season or one outbreak or one event does not predict the next one, but it just makes me think like, you know, that this active pattern, I feel like is probably just going to continue through the spring and whatever. And, you know, that makes me a little bit nervous. And I think that that means that now's the time for everyone to start preparing to, you know, take shelter when needed and clean out your shelters and change batteries and all that good stuff that we mention all the time.
0: 100%. All right, let's play a little trivia game. So I have the tornado reports pulled up here. I'm going to give you a name of a state and I want you to tell me just off the top of your head without looking if they had a tornado or not. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Florida. Yes. Yes. Correct. Georgia. Yes. Alabama. Yes. Mississippi. No. Yes, Mississippi had several. Oh. Arkansas. And yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes for Arkansas. Please. Okay.
0: New Hampshire.
1: I'm going to say yes.
0: Yes, that's correct. Washington. Yes. Yes, and we talked about that last week. California. No. Correct. Texas.
1: Yes. Oklahoma. No.
0: Yes. One tornado.
1: Oh, that's right. In Hobart, I think.
0: Uh, Nebraska. No. Yes. Kansas. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Missouri. Yes. Illinois.
1: Yes.
0: Kentucky. Yes. North Carolina. Yes. Virginia. Yes. Tennessee. Yes. Louisiana. Yep. Yep. Congratulations. You got everything correct except for the exception of Mississippi. But yes.
1: Nailed it. Yeah. That was a lot of states. (laughs) That is a lot of
0: states. It's, you know, I have to do the count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, by the way, Iowa. Iowa was the other one I didn't mention. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14. They had to 14, have been 14, half. Six, half, uh, half the country, 17 or 18 states.
1: Which is almost kind of a little bit half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> kind of, sort of, maybe.
1: It's closer to half than not half.
0: Right. So the first comment after all these stats are, what's the outlook for April?
1: <laughs> yeah. What is the outlook for April?
0: Busy. Let's just say that. Let's just say it's busy. And well, I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah. Like, I believe that. But I don't know when it's supposed to start getting busy because, as far as I know, this next week still has nothing really going on. We have one day here with rain chances, but I just,
0: you know. 100%. 100%. Well, I'm
1: ready for some action.
0: I, I don't blame you. I do not blame you. I think it's time. But let me, let's ask this. So, we talked about the fact that this is the Dixie Alley, you know, season you guys will start to see action pick up in later this month in April into May. Bonnie, there's a push right now from a lot of people to do away with the term tornado alley. And a lot of people believe that it is a misnomer that tornadoes only happen in portions of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, uh, and then a few points northward and eastward. But clearly as we see, I mean, you could consider another tornado alley to be, in Dixie Alley, you know, the states of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Portions of Tennessee and Kentucky in there as well. So what is your thought on that? Do we need to reclassify Tornado Alley, or do we need to just stop trying to label an area?
1: I think that it would just be, you know, let's just stop labeling an area. You know, people don't call the East Coast Hurricane Alley. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's really actually no point to even have a label of tornado alley and you know like you said pretty much half the country is prone to getting tornadoes you know so because I mean we see watches and warnings and outlooks for for everywhere you know Illinois and Iowa and Texas and Tennessee and Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina Like so all that whole half the country gets tornadoes quite regularly and they get pretty significant ones too so I mean, really, there's no point to having Tornado Alley anyways. But it's, when you think of it, the states you think of are incorrect. So it's kind of like, yeah, let's just stop talking about it. It doesn't make any difference.
0: No, I'm right there with you. You know, and again, I understand the reason why we do put labels with certain things, because obviously, you know, you're going to see more footage of tornadoes from a place like Oklahoma or Texas. And you see more of the quote-unquote traditional, you know, flatland tornadoes, Kansas, other states in the plains. And we know that you generally have a better chance of maybe seeing a bigger storm in that area. But I think the last few years, a lot of that has changed. And again, I don't know if it's because social media is more prevalent and people are using it a lot more to do storm reports, take videos. You know, we have a lot more storm chasers in the last 15, 20 years. We can thank that to Twister. We can give thanks to uh, colleges doing new programs. We can, you know, honestly give thanks to a show like Storm Chasers where people realize, hey, I can make money doing this. That could be it as well. But you start to see places like Dixie Alley where you have the early season tornadoes and you get some big ones that go through there. We just talked about it, EF2s, EF3s. There was an EF4 even in Georgia. You know, if you want to put a term Tornado Alley, I'm going to basically block all areas east of the Rocky Mountains and label that tornado alley
1: yeah well and we were just talking about before the show how this weekend is the anniversary of an outbreak from 1974 I think and that outbreak happened in Kentucky Tennessee uh, Alabama like right there in that little like corridor so I mean that just tells you that this has been a thing for decades now that there's significant outbreaks not just down the center of the country of nebraska kansas oklahoma texas like there's it's prone to getting outbreaks in a lot of other areas to the east so it's just one little strip of states is not the alley
0: right it's known as the 1974 super outbreak it's the second largest tornado outbreak on record for a single 24-hour period just behind the 2011 super outbreak it's also the most violent tornado outbreak ever recorded with 30 F4 slash F5 tornadoes confirmed. Okay. Again, early Fujita scale, so that's why it's not the enhanced, but still 30, 330, 30, F4, F5 tornadoes confirmed by the National Weather Service. From April 3rd into April 4th, 1974, 148 tornadoes confirmed over 13 states. And the Canadian province of Ontario. In the U.S. alone, tornadoes struck Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, North Carolina, Fl- uh, Virginia, West Virginia, New York. Outbreak caused roughly 384, or sorry, 843 million U.S. dollars, roughly equivalent to 4.5 billion dollars in 2019. With more than 600 million or 3.3 billion in damage occurring in the United States, the outbreak extensive damage properly. Uh, property 900 square miles along a total combined path of 2,600 miles in damage. At one point, as many as 15 separate tornadoes were on the ground simultaneously. The 1974 super outbreak was the first tornado outbreak in recorded history to produce more than 100 tornadoes in a 24-hour period, a a feat that was not repeated globally until the 1981 United Kingdom tornado outbreak and then again the 2011 super outbreak. But you look at this map and Bonnie, it is absolutely horrifying. And again, yeah. everywhere from Ontario to Michigan to Indiana, Ohio, Illinois and straight down. I mean, you could literally draw a line and I want to say it's I-40, but I'd have to double check this. But if you yeah, look I at think the
1: I-40 goes east to west.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to pull up a US highway here. Um Because it is something that I want to make sure I get the number correct. All right. Uh, I need to zoom in. Why is there never a good map when you need it?
1: Because <laughs> we're not doing the Explorer. Yes, we're not. It's a map.
0: And I need to zoom <laughs> in now. Because uh, I can't read. Zoom. Where's my zoom? 100%. No, I want to keep zooming. I want to keep zooming. So what number is that?
1: searching for the highway searching for
0: the, for the highway. highway okay okay so i-65 and i-75 that moves north south you're right i-40 moves east west odd numbers west or north south uh even numbers east west <laughs> i know this now is that okay. really how it is yeah
1: oh
0: yeah that is so i didn't know that 65 and 75 extend from areas into alabama up through indianapolis into michigan those two corridors, I-65 and I-75, are where a majority of these storms were focused. Listen, if you are combining tornado tracks and your length is 2,600 miles, that's almost the equivalent of traveling coast to coast.
1: Yeah, that's huge. That is crazy. And imagine that outbreak happening. Well, I mean, it happened in 1974, but just like imagine how hard that was to Right cover because the radar wasn't as good there was no you know i'm sure there was some chasing but you know probably not like there is today and there definitely wasn't any way to like transmit video and pictures back in real time so that just that would make that outbreak even scarier to not have great coverage just based on technology limits.
0: right if you are interested in reading more about this because it is fascinating Go to Wikipedia and type in 1974 super outbreak. It breaks down a meteorological synopsis of what happened. I'm just going to read the first paragraph because there's some interesting takeaways in it. A powerful springtime low pressure system developed across the Northern, uh, North American interior plains on April 1st while moving into the Mississippi and Ohio Valley areas, a surge of very moist air intensified the storm further while there were sharp temperature contrast between both sides of the system. Officials at NOAA and the National Weather Service Forecast office, Offices were expecting a severe weather outbreak on April 3rd, but not to the extent that ultimately occurred. Several F2 and F3 tornadoes had struck portions of the Ohio Valley and, the south, and in the south in a separate earlier outbreak, April 1 and 2, which include three killer tornadoes across Kentucky, Alabama, and Tennessee. The town of Campbellsburg, northeast of Louisville, was hit hard in an early outbreak with a large portion of the town destroyed by an F3. Between the two outbreaks, an additional tornado was reported in Indiana in the early morning hours of April 3rd, several hours before the official start of the outbreak. On Wednesday, April 3rd, severe weather watches were issued from the morning from south of the Great Lakes, while portions of the upper Midwest snow was reported with heavy rain falling across central Michigan and much of Ontario. So this was a full mixed bag. But some of the takeaways that I want to talk about here real quick. Okay. Snow in the Great Lakes. Fall by rain. You generally don't see tornado outbreaks occur in these areas, right? Because if you already have rain, atmosphere is pretty stable, uh, unless it's shower and thunderstorms. Snow, same thing. It's really hard to get severe weather with snow. But this low was strong enough to basically kick that out, and then still was able to support that warm air out in front of it from the Gulf. Yeah, that's what
1: I was going to say, and pull all that moisture up from yep. the Gulf. Far enough north to have the outbreak, you know, go basically all the way from the Gulf coast up to, you said Ontario, right? Like just right into Canada. So that's, that's a huge area of, you know, prime atmosphere to do all that. Now, where was the primary, what am I trying to say? Where were the EF5s or the F4 and 5s, where were those primarily located? So, or were they scattered?
0: They were scattered, but, um... It says, by 1630 UTC, the large MCS began to splinter into two sections. The southern part slowed, lagging into southeast Tennessee, while the northern part accelerated, reaching Pennsylvania by 1930 UTC. The split was related to several factors, including a band of subsidence over eastern Kentucky and western West Virginia. Local downslope winds over the Appalachians and an inversion in the same area. These factors allowed the northern part of the MCS to accelerate due to efficient ducting while the southern part slowed as the boundary layer warmed and moistened. Numerous surface-based supercells began to develop in the southern area first, beginning with one that produced an EF-3 about 1630 UTC near Cleveland, Tennessee. Meanwhile, a new band of scattered thunderstorms developed at 1500 UTC over eastern Arkansas and Missouri. Over the next four hours, this band became the focus of several intense supercells starting in eastern Illinois and southern Indiana. So MCS split into two. Here are the two stats that I want to talk about real quick 319 total deaths, which is way too many. But again, 1977 or 1974, we're not necessarily talking about weather radios, and we'll get into that in a minute. But Bonnie, here is the total tornado list according to the Fujita rating in 1974 12 F zeros, 38 F ones, 34 F twos. Thirty-four F threes, twenty-three F fours, and seven F fives for a total of one hundred and forty eight.
1: Wow. That is that really is a lot of F four and fives. That really, yes. really is. Because that takes that takes some serious energy in the atmosphere to get that kind of tornado going. You know what I mean? So for it to be able to to, now I get it, it's not all in one centralized location, but I'm just saying for the atmosphere to be that juiced up to produce that many in one single 24 hour period. That was, that was just a crazy setup. And I just wow. Right.
0: Wow. All right, so I will give you the list of the F5s according to again Wikipedia and I will the second one is the one that we all talk about, Xenia, Ohio. It's the deadliest of the individual tornadoes from the 74 Super Outbreak, killing 32 people and destroying a significant portion of the town. But you had an F-4 or F-5 that hit DePauw slash Daisy Hill, Indiana, Xenia, Ohio, which we just talked about. Bradenburg, Kentucky. Cincinnati slash Sawyer Park, Ohio. Tanner, Alabama, the first tornado, which we believe. Tanner, uh, Tanner Alabama saw a second F-5. Two separate F5s hit the town. I believe it's Isn't Goon- that same outbreak. Same outbreak. Uh, I believe it's pronounced "gun" Alabama G U I N. And those were the those were your F5s. You had F4s in Huntsville, Alabama. You had an F4 in Jasper slash Coleman, Alabama. You had an F4 in Monticello, Indiana. You had an F4 hit Louisville, Kentucky. You had an F4 that hit Hanover slash Madison, Indiana. I mean, that's, those are the big ones, and it's a lot of damage, and again, 319 lives lost.
1: Wow. And for one town, one town in that same outbreak got hit by two F5s? Yes. Whoa! How is that town, like, still, like, on the face of the earth?
0: Right. So... Tanner, Alabama had two F5 tornadoes. As the cluster of thunderstorms was crossing much of the Ohio Valley in northern Indiana, additional storms developed much further south, just east of the Mississippi River, into the Tennessee Valley in Mississippi. It produced the first deadly tornadoes in Alabama during the early evening hours. The small town of Tanner, west of Huntsville in Limestone County, was destroyed when two F5 tornadoes struck the community 30 minutes apart. The first tornado formed at 630 Central Time in Lawrence County, Alabama and ended just over 90 minutes later in Madison County, Alabama, killing 28 people. The tornado first touched down near the small community of Mount Hope, then tracked into Mount Mori and then where the tornado rapidly intensified and swept away homes and hurled fleeing vehicles. Further along the track, many homes were swept away near Moulton. A water pump was completely lifted out of a well house along the Alabama State Line or Alabama State Route 157 in this area. In one case, the destruction was so complete that a witness reported the largest recognizable objects among scattered debris from an obliterated house were some bed springs. The tornado crossed into Morgan County, causing additional destruction in rural areas near Hillsborough and Trinity. The storm then slammed into Tanner, where many houses were swept away, vehicles were tossed, shrubbery was debarked, and Lawson's trailer park sustained major damage. The tornado then continued into Madison County and struck the uh Clapshaw and, or Capshaw and harvest areas, numerous homes and harvest and surrounding rural areas of the county were swept completely away and scattered. Extensive wind rowing of debris was noted at Bata from one residence was found deeply embedded into the ground. Past harvest, the tornado abruptly dissipated, having a peak width of 500 yards. Now, the second tornado that went through Tanner, while rescue efforts were underway to look for people uh, under destroyed structures, few were aware another violent tornado would strike the area. The path of the second tornado, which formed at 7:35, was 83 miles in length, had a peak width of 500 yards, and the storm fall- formed along the north bank of the Tennessee River, less than a mile from where the path of the earlier storm had started. The path quickly and where the path very closely paralleling its predecessor as a tore through limestone in Madison counties. 16 people were killed by this tornado. Tanner was the first community to be hit, and many structures that were left standing at the first tornado were destroyed in the second one. A man injured at Lawson's Trailer Park in the fourth tornado was taken to a church in the area, which collapsed in the second tornado, killing him.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Jeez. That is so... Because... Most of the time, keyword most, once you have had a major severe weather event like a tornado or something come through, typically you're done. Right. You know, the atmosphere is done. There's no juice left over your community really for a storm to come through again. So I'm sure that was a lot of people's mindset was like, okay, well, there's no possible way that this could happen again in 30 minutes. Right.
0: And again, to be as strong and as violent and follow the same track pretty much as the storm 30 minutes before. Absolutely.
1: Oh, oh! I cannot even imagine how freaking scary. And like I said, you know, they'll radar wasn't as good. Storm coverage wasn't as good. Storm chasing wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. So it's just, there was probably just a very huge lack of heads up and warning on that. And that's terrible. And that's why it's better now. It's because of events like that. Right.
0: Tanner, Alabama was hit by yet another EF-5 during the 2011 super outbreak. So wow. we, we talk about There's that.
1: they like more Oklahoma. That's right? what they are. Yeah, exactly. They're I, more Oklahoma.
0: I was going to say, well, you know, you want to talk about a town being hit by two EF-5s. Look at more Oklahoma, the one guy that has the tractor supply company. Yeah. With the two paths. By the way, when I come back to visit you, I want to go to that place. Okay. We're going to Pops. We're going to go everywhere. Yeah, we're going to go to yeah. Pops, and then we're going to go to <laughs> see the Tractor Supply Company.
1: And I think that we should probably go to the Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial. I feel yeah. like Oh, absolutely. I want. That.
0: I do want to see that. I do want to see that for sure. Uh, another moment. You'll in, cry, but just Oh, be I compared. know. Well, no, I know what I will, because that has a significant thing in my memory as well. So, just, uh, man, you know, 1974 was a rough year. 2011 was a rough year. March, in comparison, not quite as bad, but...
1: But still, it was trying. Yeah, <laughs> Let's absolutely. be real. Like, it was trying.
0: <laughs> absolutely. And we still have, you know, a lot of the chase season to go. But, yeah. man. So, again, March was busy. Seventh most active March in terms of tornado watches issued, according to the Storm Prediction Center, uh, since 1991. Most high-risk days since 1991. We had two of them. And, again, four days of EF2 plus tornadoes most of. So, pretty, pretty intense.
1: Jeez, go March, you know, right. I'm telling you that the deal is, is this March was trying to top last March as far as like just craziness happening, you know, because oh, last 100%. March was the beginning of the pandemic. So it was like, right. I'm just, just wow, 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 wow. That's all I can say.
0: Well, so, so let's go from one extreme to another. This article caught my eye this week and we tweeted it out on our, our Twitter page at Weather Podcast saying that scientists have detected the world's coldest cloud tops hovering over the Pacific Ocean. So I was like, oh, sweet. That's my ocean. It's 100 miles from me. So I pull it up. <laughs> and the first line says, a severe thunderstorm cloud. Okay. Let's obviously understand this is not written by a meteorologist. Okay. Right. A severe thunderstorm cloud. Do we have severe mm-hmm. thunderstorm clouds?
1: I mean, we do, but we don't really phrase it that way. (laughs) No, we don't.
0: So, a severe thunderstorm cloud that formed over the Pacific Ocean in 2018 reached the coldest temperatures ever recorded according to a new study. The very top of the storm cloud reached a bone-chilling minus 167.8 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 111 degrees Celsius, colder than any storm cloud measured before. Thunderstorms and tropical cyclones, a circular low pressure system can reach very high altitudes, up to 11 miles or 18 kilometers from the ground, where the air is much cooler, according to a statement from the United Kingdom's National Center for Earth Observation. Again, not written by a weather person. I would say, no shit, Sherlock. It is cold (laughs) in the upper atmosphere. When you fly in an airplane, guess what? The temperatures outside are sub freezing. But we'll continue. But this new temperature is on another level. Ooh. The top of the storm cloud was about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Or sorry, 86 degrees Fahrenheit, or 30 degrees Celsius, colder than a typical storm clouds, according to the statement. The beast of a storm loomed about 249 miles, or 400 kilometers, north of Nauru in the Southwest Pacific on December 28th, or sorry, December 29th, 2018. And its cold and its clouds temperatures was picked up by an infrared sensor above NOAA's 20 satellite, 20 satellite orbiting the planet storms typically spread into an anvil like shape when they reach the top of the troposphere, the lowest layer of the earth's atmosphere. But if a storm has a lot of energy, it will shoot into the next layer, the stratosphere. This phenomenon known as an overshooting top, pushes storm clouds to very high altitudes where it's barely cold. Okay. I'm going to stop right there <laughs> because there's no reason for me to continue. Because the very so next, it
1: basically l- just saying the higher you go, the colder it gets. Yes, pretty much was.
0: Like. And the very next line says overshooting tops are reasonably common.
1: <laughs> yes, they are
0: because you have a thunderstorm with a very strong updraft.
1: Exactly. That's how you know it's a strong thunderstorm, or oh. well, that's one way to know.
0: <laughs> yes, but remember, it's a it's a severe storm cloud, severe thunderstorm cloud.
1: It's. Just- <sighs> I just really kind of like that phrase, like severe thunderstorm cloud. It's almost like it's not a severe thunderstorm, it's just the cloud. Right. It's kind of how it sounds, which is really funny to me.
0: And, uh, and listen, please don't get me wrong. I love the fact that this is huge, right? So it goes on to tell me about how overshooting tops are reasonably common, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. Typically, an overshooting top cools by... Well, 0. 0.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 7 degrees Celsius for every kilometer it rises in the stratosphere. But this storm was particularly extreme. This storm achieved an unprecedented temperature that pushes the limits of what current satellite sensors are capable of measuring. We found that these really cool, these really cold temperatures seem to be coming more in common. Okay. Where do I start? Listen. Our satellite technology is absolutely incredible. What we have seen with the last two ghost satellites is nothing short of amazing. Quick refresh time, quick download times, basically the ability to monitor the atmosphere from a satellite in real time is super impressive. Okay. It is, it's a game changer. And we talked about that on the show when the two satellites launched the ability to see lightning in real time from space, the ability to see, you know, one-minute refreshes of storms firing. You can see the clouds develop and bubble and have their overshooting tops. But satellites are high up in the atmosphere. Their sensors are very, very sensitive. They can detect cold cloud tops and warm temperatures. But there is a limit, guys. So, yes, while you might have detected what could be the coldest all time does not mean it has not already been achieved, does not mean that it is not common. We just might not know about that yet because maybe we're not looking for it. So with that said, let's take a step back and let's not go all crazy like this dude is doing because it's just, it makes my head hurt.
1: Yeah, because really the bottom line is what we need to know about a severe weather cloud is how strong is that cloud? How strong is that updraft? Because that will give us an indication Of what that storm could produce. I mean, what that severe weather cloud could produce. 100%. That's
0: what matters. Okay, we'll continue with this article because I love sharing this. In the last three years, scientists have logged the same number, same number, of extremely cold temperatures in clouds as they did in the 13 years before that. Let's stop right there, okay? In the last three years, our satellite technology has gone from A to Z. Okay? Okay. Focus here for a second. We have increased the ability to see this now a lot better than we had in the previous 13 years. This is like me saying we developed a new radar system that can see into storms, which, oh, by the way, we already have that. But it's like when it was developed in the 60s. Oh, well, we can clearly now see their their tornadoes and we have a hook echo. And then when we had the WSR-88Ds come along in 1988 that revolutionized the game again in radar oh my gosh, we're seeing all these storms now that we didn't see in the last 13 years.
1: Right. Like, it's not brand new. It's been happening. We just have the ability to pick it up now and see it. Right.
0: Exactly. And again, if you are seeing this from 13 years ago, those were probably pretty really cold cloud tops, just saying. But now that our satellite (laughs) technology is much better, guess what? Maybe they are becoming more common. I'll continue. (laughs) This particular storm may have been energized by a combination of very warm water in the region and eastward moving wind according to the BBC. However, here's the key. It's not clear why these colder temperatures and storm clouds are becoming more common. Read the paragraph before. We have new technology people.
1: <laughs> the <sighs> answer is in the question. <laughs>
0: literally, literally. <laughs> now we need to I like understand how
1: riled up you're getting. Oh my gosh,
0: I just I, I I want science and science reporting to take a hard look at themselves and say, listen, we are asking questions and having the answers within it. Let's explain that instead of coming off sounding stupid. This is why people do not trust scientists. And I hate saying that because scientists are some of the smartest people in the world, but they don't know how to communicate properly. And it drives me up a wall. It absolutely drives me up a wall. Quote, we, and that's
1: always an ongoing thing is studying how to communicate efficiently to right. people.
0: All right. Now, now here's the here's the absolute caveat. Feel free to laugh. <laughs> we now need to understand if this increase is due to our changing climate or whether it is due to a perfect storm of weather conditions producing outbreaks of extreme thunderstorms in the last four years or last few years.
1: <sighs> okay. Stretch. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Listen, the climate change debate is something that needs to happen. We need to talk about it. We need to address it. There's no doubt about it. But for the love of God, can we please stop attributing every single weather extreme to climate change until we have actual physical proof? Because that also is driving me up a wall. Read the article And they literally just said, we have now been able to detect this in the last three years because of the satellite versus what we saw 13 years ago. Okay, now, was 13 years ago were these happening? Yeah, it says in the article. Okay, great. Is the frequency increasing? Maybe. My bet and my guess, and again, I'm not necessarily the most educated person with this, but when I read enough things and know enough things, my guess is we're going to see more of it because there's better technology to see all of it happening. And you got to remember 13 years ago, satellite technology, you're getting new pictures every 30 minutes, every hour. You could have a cold cloud top that expands in the atmosphere and you would have to be in the right spot at the right time at the right refresh rate to catch it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, like the earth, Is a lot of area to cover and it's very easy for these things to just like slip through a crack and you not pick it up, you know? So yeah, you're right. Like, and so it's a stretch to be like, like you said, you, in the article, they admit, Hey, we were able to pick this up because of technology improvements. And then five seconds later say this is because of climate change. So which is it? Is it because of technological improvements or is it because of, climate change that this was discovered or happening.
0: Right. And I'm okay with both. I mean, I am 100% okay to say it could be both, which it very well could be. But if you're going to throw something out there and say, well, this is because of this, give me proof. When everything in the article before that had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So that's where, that's why I'm just saying science reporting drives me up a wall because we try and like, you know, share all this great information, but we're terrible communicators at it. And it does. Oh, my gosh. It makes me want to scream so loud sometimes.
1: But I digress. Don't scream on the podcast.
0: No, that's why I have the podcast so I can vent. Anyways, <laughs> really cool the fact that we did see this now because of satellite technology, that we were able to pick up this extreme cold cloud top. But, hey, you know what? When we have severe thunderstorm cloud, that's great.
1: But you know what, though? It's it's good. Like, the more information 100%. we have, it makes us understand why things happen and you know like that's definitely stuff that needs to be continued to be researched and you know looking at different storms and oh the storm produced a very very strong tornado did it have really 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 cold unusually cold cloud tops maybe that has something to do with it like you know those kind of things so it's definitely important information to have but let's get some more of it and study it before we make
0: a conclusion about it. 100%. Now I know that we have been able to see on radar for years and years and years, gravity waves, right? Mm
1: -hmm. We've been
0: able to see it. I don't ever recall in my, you know, 40 years of existence until the last five years, seeing gravity waves on satellite. Because of just the slow refresh rate that we got a picture every 15 or 30 minutes. Yeah. But now that we have the one minute refresh, we can clearly see it. And obviously, it makes sense. We know that the atmosphere is a fluid just like water. You get, you know, ripples in a wave. You get the gravity wave effect. You have that in the atmosphere. We've seen it on radar, but to see it on satellite, again. But am I jumping out there and be like, oh, my God, check this out. We just found gravity waves in the atmosphere.
1: No. Well, this article also just discovered severe storm clouds. It one hundred
0: percent. I mean I'm I'm blown away. Meteorologically speaking, this is a breakthrough. That should be the highlight. We have a severe storm cloud. Not just clouds, but cloud. One. One of them. A severe storm cloud.
1: And just the cloud. Yes. Not the storm part of it. Nope, just the cloud.
0: Just the cloud. Because you know it punched its way into the troposphere or wherever the
1: it did. (laughs) Oh man, it's headed up to all the spheres, you
0: know? Oh. Can we talk about sprites? Let's talk about sprites. No, let's not. That's another thing that blows my mind. I love it. All right. Oh, I know. <sighs> Recompose myself. I
1: also like volcanic lightning when it's lighting yes. out oh, of Oh, my prites. gosh, yes. The ash. Love that.
0: Pyrocumulus, one of the coolest things in the world.
1: And so are lenticular clouds, those flat ones, those pancakes yes. that form. A lot of times they form over mountains and Yep, stuff. We
0: have that a lot in Oregon, by the way. Mount Hood gets a lot of them. It's really cool to see.
1: Yeah, they're so cool looking.
0: Speaking of pancakes and eggs it's Easter and you and I are members of the weather ready nation ambassador community. So we do our part to help educate you guys on ways to be prepared. We talk about a lot on a lot of our shows, but Bonnie, one of the coolest things I saw and we will retweet this out on our Twitter page at weather podcast, this amazing, amazing graphic that you shared earlier today. And I thought was absolutely fantastic talking about not having all of your Easter eggs, pun intended, in one basket.
1: It was so good. It's talking about having, you know, different ways to get your warnings and not putting all your eggs in one type of method, like a warning on your phone. Cause like we talked about last week, those don't always work or come through in a timely fashion or putting all your eggs in the tornado siren basket, because those aren't meant to be heard inside or wake you up. So Spread out
0: your eggs. Yes. So our <laughs> friends at NWS Bay Area tweeted this out, and it's fantastic. It says, "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." And again, that's incredibly smart. Have multiple ways to receive a warning. Have a NOAA weather radio. Have local and TV radio, uh, local TV and radio stations, wireless emergency alerts from your friends, family, and co-workers, outdoor sirens, the internet, and the weather apps. Now, I do feel sorry for the three eggs that weren't listed as anything. They're just there. But we can fill in around the blanks, so yeah, we will do that. Those
1: would be like smoke signals, Morse code, yes, and Twitter. And yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> Although I don't like relying on social media for my weather warnings.
1: No, but Twitter is better than Facebook.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Just the rapid, you know, time of it. The time increase is much better. But so yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. So shout out to NWS Bay Area for putting out a great graphic and it looks good too. So again, science communication, these guys have it right. NWS Bay Area, they figured it out. I will say this though, and and I'm not trying to knock all scientists and communications. The National Weather Service individual offices have become much more creative in the last 10 years of about how to get a message out there. So props to you guys for being able to effectively communicate that because there are plenty of people in the science community that have failed at communication. And I really wish that we could just help them because we need to.
1: Well, and I think like, you know, the Oklahoma Mesonet does a good job. Like they post different, you know, memes and TV characters on their weather maps. And I think that they do that to be funny, but they also do it to like grab people's attention because if it just looks like a plain old weather map, a lot of people go, I can't read that. I don't really understand it. And they just keep scrolling. But if they see, Michael Scott from the office or a game of Thrones character or something that's going along with whatever's happening on that map, then it helps them connect the dots and understand what they're looking at. It grabs their attention. It makes them look at it. So, you know, like there's definitely a lot of effort out there trying, but you're, it's, it's a changing situation to get people's attention and the best ways to do that. So.
0: 100%. Again, we talk a lot about making sure you're prepared. And that means having ways to receive things. So weather radios, emergency alert system, TV and radio, internet, be prepared, have an idea of what you're going to do in the event. Something does happen. Please don't laugh when I say this. It will save your life. Having a plan will save your life. Knowing what to do, where to go and how to do it will save your life.
1: Yeah, hundred percent luck favors the prepared. And that's what my mom always told me. And in a lot of situations, big, small, important, not really important, being over prepared in those individual situations, those situations turned out well for me, if that makes sense. So, I mean, really being prepared is always good. And I'll tell you, um, I've got two apps on my phone. One is a news station weather app and another one is a radar app. And both of those alert me pretty quickly to Um, warnings and watches that are issued for my area as well as let me know when there's lightning in the area. So, um, you know, we talked about our phones that have that alert system that don't work very well. So some apps do work well. So you might look at your news station apps in your area and see what they do and how well they do it.
0: Right. Personally on my phone um, I have a weather tab and it's not just, you know, the typical weather apps. But I have four of them. I have weather geek, which is a rundown of all the composite models available. I have one called weather radio. I have quake watch, which is not really a weather app, but I keep it under the weather tab. And then I have weather channel pro obviously I have radar scope. I have a, a app called windy, which is a wind forecast app, which I think is fantastic. I have a lightning app called lightning, which tracks lightning within a certain radius. And I love it. And it's fantastic. I uh, the quake In alert. The uh, yep. Uh, n- yes. I have the, f- I have the paid version, but there is a free version of it. I have so for whatever
1: reason lightning, you can't really get free a lot. No, no and places you can, but not very often.
0: No. And I was really bummed. There used to be a great lightning app and I want to say it was called my lightning or something. And this thing was fantastic because every time there was a lightning strike, it would let you know. And lightning has, has filled that void but this one was great because it would tell you the exact distance away from you. The lightning bolt hit. Yeah. And it was fantastic. And I mean, then it got pulled down. I was really bummed about that.
1: My News nine app, weather app does that. And it'll be like lightning just struck within seven miles of your area. And so does my, um, other radar app, which I nice. can't believe I don't really know the name of it, but it's because it's changed from when I first downloaded it and it changed. I guess somebody took it over or something. I don't know, but it also tells me and it does a really good job. So, I mean, there's just those random apps out there that do provide lightning information for free, but those two that I just mentioned also buzz my phone and let me know, Hey, warning for your area. Hey, watch for your area. Like that kind of thing.
0: Right. And I had the lightning subscription through radar scope and it's fantastic because it will, you know, tell you the amount of lightning within a cell. It doesn't tell you where it's technically does not give you a location as a graphical reference, okay, there's a lightning strike around this area and you can zoom in. And it's like, okay, but you're not going to get it. But this other app was great because it would literally tell you and it would scare the shit out of me because every time a lightning strike was within the area, it sounded like a thunder war was going off on your phone.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is fantastic. Yeah,
1: because they buzz really crazily.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I can recall one night being literally woken up from a lightning strike that hit a tree about two blocks from my house and it sounded like the tree exploded.
1: Yeah, lightning strikes are so loud. They are.
0: It's literally, it's air exploding, and that's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, lightning is is scary. That was scary. So I don't know if we just had a power bump or got hit by lightning, but yeah. I bet it was lightning. I bet it was
1: Zeus. I was like, hey, you want some lightning? Here you go.
0: It it very well could have been. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Hey, that's good timing though. That's very, uh, apropos for the situation.
0: (laughs) It it really is. It really is. Well, so just, you know, to wrap it up, just again, be more prepared, know what things are going to happen in your area and, uh, all things will work from there.
1: Yep. I mean, and now's the time while it's slow, while it's quiet, start getting stuff ready and getting your shelter ready and having a plan and changing the batteries and radios and, whatever else, flashlights and that kind of thing. And I mean, now, now is the time, like we always say, right now is the time, not the day of the event, not the night before, not while it's happening, right now while it's not happening.
0: 100%. Well, another great edition of B-Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon.
1: And I'm Bobby in Oklahoma.
0: And we will talk to you guys next week.
1: Bye.